0: Uh, said this right towards the end of his life, um, well, actually his time here on earth. He said, all authority has been given me, now go. And, and the implication in the, the go, the inference in the go is, now I'm giving you authority. And he says it again specifically, Luke talks about how he's given uh, you authority, me authority to go. Because the Spirit is on us to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I've commanded. And he says, and Luke records it as, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And there's this piece about the kingdom of God that is is just part of the Christian life, and we've been talking about this this whole thing of just one more. I was listening to a story, uh, watching actually a story uh, on YouTube of a guy, his name is Christopher Voss, and he uh, was, I don't know if he is anymore, he was the lead negotiator for the FBI for hostage uh, negotiations. And he was telling a story one time, he was over in the Philippines and a terrorist, a Philippine terrorist had kidnapped an American, guy was in the wrong place, wrong time, and he was demanding $10 million or he was just going to kill the American. And so Christopher Voss goes over as the, the lead negotiator for the U.S. and he works with this colonel who's in the army, a uh, really sharp guy, and the colonel's the one who's tasked with leading negotiations. and. And Voss is uh, consulting him as he goes, and they're in this negotiation three months, and they're at, a, they're at a stalemate, and this guy's a sociopath. I mean, he doesn't care about people. He'll kill anybody. He'll kill anything. And, uh, and they're, just, they're, they're concerned because negotiations are stalemate, and this guy could just end up being like, whatever, I'm just going to kill the guy and move on. And, and so they changed tactics, and the colonel, and talked about it, and the colonel it ends up, I don't know how they schedule it, but they end up talking to the terrorists. And the colonel ends, talks for about, I don't know, it seemed like an hour or two, and just started to tell the terrorists, reflect back to the terrorists, his, his, basically his ideology and his, his understanding of history and why his cause is so just. And so he just starts telling the version of this terrorist's idea of life and reality. And he just goes on, and the terrorist just keeps listening, keeps listening, He keeps listening, and he keeps going and going, and he doesn't hang up, and he's interacting, and he's agreeing, and he finally gets done. The colonel gets done, and there's this pause on the phone, silence. And the terrorist just says really quietly, he goes, that's right. He says, I'll talk to you in a couple days, and hangs up. Farna did some research uh, here in the last two years here in America, just this national, nationwide survey, and and there were all, all kinds of different pieces to the survey, but one of the questions that they asked those who were millennials and who were Christians and who would say, yes, I, I believe in, in, in the Bible as like that's the source of truth and everything, and they said to these um, These millennials, they said that the the, the question was posed um, about how they're sharing their faith, and 47% of millennial Christians believe that sharing your faith is wrong. 47% of millennial Christians, that's like two decades worth, half of millennial Christians, really. I mean, I I don't have to be like a uh, survey dude and be scientific about it. I can be general. Half, right? Half. Of those that 20 years of that generation believe sharing your faith is, is not uncomfortable, difficult, but wrong. And yet we have this call, Matthew 28, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. We have Acts 1:8: go and be my witnesses. It's an unmistakable call. It's an unmistakable command. There's just no way you get around it if you follow Christ. And and the question is, what's going on? What's wrong? How, How are we here? What's fascinating is that the survey goes on to say this. 97% of millennial Christians think Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to someone. So, being a generalist, I'm a pastor, that's 100%. (laughs) That's almost 100% of millennial Christians who who really believe the Bible is the authority, right? And what we see here, read here, is, is truth. They're saying Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen. 75% 75% of those millennial, same millennial Christians say, I'm equipped to share about Jesus. I mean, it's just a, a major disconnect, right? There's, there's huge incongruency in, in the survey because you have them saying it's wrong to share, but Jesus is the best thing ever. And then they're, they're like, yeah, three quarters of us are, are, feel pretty confident we could talk about Jesus and share about Jesus. And there is a major disconnect. I'm reading a book right now um, on evangelism. Frankly, I didn't want to read it. I've read a lot of books on evangelism, and I didn't think I needed to read another book on evangelism. So it just kept sitting there on my desk. You ever have one of those books that just keeps looking at you? And you're like, i got to read it. But, so, I don't know, it's six months. It's been sitting there laughing at me. And I'm like, all right, I'll read this thing. So it's by a guy named Craig Springer and i'm glad i read it um in fact uh i read it i was just like i had to put it down because i had to really think about it and uh, some big chunks of this message are are basically formulated out of this this book but he talks about reviving evangelism and and what he does is he diagnoses culture out of those stats why is it that millennials Are saying this and and rather than go to the Millennials you whatever you're so bad you know come on you know pull up your boots let's go he's like maybe they're seeing something in culture and maybe this isn't a statement about disobedience but a statement about methodology Maybe it's a statement about how they understand what sharing your faith or telling people about Jesus looks like in the previous generations and, and, and how that interacts with their culture and, and the, the emerging culture of, of Gen Z and going, can't do that. You just cannot do it that way. And that's what Springer poses. He says, I don't think this is about disobedience. I think it's about methods and how we share our faith. And he talks about this idea of, um, no, actually, that's what it is. And, and so he goes in and he starts to talk about what culture is. And if you want to understand why that, you need to look at culture, the broader culture of, of millennials, Gen Z, and, and, and where we got. And he quotes this guy named Mark Comer, which is so interesting because I'm like, oh, I listened to that guy. Mark Comer, C-O-M-E-R. Uh, podcast out there called this cultural moment you can hear mark comer speak and he's uh he's probably one of the leading he's a pastor out in australia but this guy uh looks and diagnoses cultural trends at a macro level like i've it's just rare he's just really gifted so everybody's talking to mark because of how mark understands what's going on in these macro trends of culture and he talks about culture, and so a piece of this is just understanding culture as we think about how we are going to share our faith, and if this whole series is about just one more, as we approach culture, we got to understand what just one more looks like as we go with methods. And he talks about culture being this idea of we're in a post-culture in a number of different ways. We're, we're post-culture in that we're post-Christian, and, and, and while we may have Judeo-Christian values still woven through, we're, as a culture, it's a secular culture, it's post-Christian, and it's the secular ideology that is starting to drive the culture. We're not only that, we're post, he would say, post-family. With 42% of homes in America, for sure, that are living in a home where mom and dad aren't together. And that's been going on now for more than one generation. So you're seeing a, a fam, the, the idea of family, the idea of the unit, the family unit, mom and dad, everyone home is, is, is evaporating. And with that is not only mom and dad, but it's the drive of the culture to have our children be the best, get the trophy, get the reward, right? And so it's activity driven, and the values of, I've got to be in this activity, I've got to be in this activity, I've got to do this, go, 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 go. And what happens at the end of the day is this post-family culture is uh, kids are growing up in a, in a home where they don't know what it means to just sit down and be. They don't know what it means to not do anything but just rest, to, to not be at this crazy pace to be at a dinner table or a breakfast table. And I mean, the older you get, the, the less they talk in the morning, right? So dinner, um, let's call it dinner. Um, sorry. But at dinner table, is there really time for dinner or is it just on the go, fly, fly, rather than just, we only got nothing going after this. So we just hang out and we talk and there's room to be heard. There's room to listen. There's space to actually be, to be known and to know others. And he would say, we are a post-family. That doesn't happen. He says, we're post-technology. If you want to understand how to reach this culture, we also understand we're post-technology, which means, what do you mean post-technology? Well, it's life after a computer in our phone that has us connected constantly to this world and to social media and the illusion that we're connected. This phone is this, and we all can talk about it, but it's, it's this thing where it's now I'm connected through likes. I'm connected through posts. I'm connected through just blurting out whatever, and it's post-technology which is creating, what, a vacuum of connection, really. Depression. These aren't anything new, right? Anxiety, low self-esteem, poor sleep quality. And it's not like these haven't been here since the fall. But what's happened is our culture right now is going through a massive upheaval of all this, and we're living now with the consequences. And it's a whole new, it's a whole new era of the Gen Z and the millennials coming up, and it's, just, it's different in this culture, the way it feels and how it's going. And there's this, it's like this crater, right, drops with all these different things. The other one he talks about is being post-mega, <laughs> which is this idea of the, the drive to have everything grow and be whatever size, biggie size, mega size, giga size. Everybody's like, yeah, that's great and everything. And, and it's not like culture wants to get rid of that, but there's this yearning for something that's just intimate. It's not necessarily the wholesale rejection of that. It's just looking at that going, yeah, all that mega stuff and big stuff, that's fine, it may have its place, but I really want something that's connecting me. And what was interesting, as I was just reflecting on this book, is the second chapter, not the last chapter, which, you know, tuck it at the end because, eh, what is that? The second chapter, he talks about the method that is going to reach Millennials, the method that is going to reach the Gen Z is listening. If you approach a millennial and say, the strongest, most powerful method you could employ to share about Christ is to listen, they would go, I'll do that. I'll do that. Not... What we were taught, I mean, I, I grew up going to church, I'd go to Moody College in the 80s, right? And, and it was, have the argument, know all the questions, have your answer, be ready to crush the argument. Because we were still not in a, we weren't post-modern, we weren't uh, post-church and post-truth at that point. There was this tipping point, but that could still be accepted. Like, people would still say, okay, yeah, truth still has importance, and so you would come from that point of view. It's not that way anymore. It doesn't mean we don't learn those things. Those things are critical. It doesn't mean that we don't get prepared and ready to share our faith. But he's saying the most important methodology is you look at the cultural trends is being able to listen, which is interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are the four books in the Bible that have the biography of Jesus. They record Jesus asking around 300 questions. They record Jesus being asked 183 questions. How many questions or how many times did Jesus answer a question that was posed to him, you think? Half? Maybe more? Only eight times. In those Gospels, eight times, Jesus actually answered the question. He was 40 times more likely to ask a question When somebody asked him a question. Isn't that interesting? And this guy had all the answers, right? If anybody was the answer man, like Jesus was the answer man. Like, come on big boy, give me your big question. I'll give you the answer, right? It's so interesting that Jesus asked questions. And why would he ask questions? Because the first question that somebody throws out there is always driven by a second question and maybe even a third question. And he would ask the second question and to get them to hear, get them to think. He would hear it, get them to think, get them to start talking. How well do you think you do at listening? Jesus says in Matthew 22, he says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Listening is is one of the most powerful forms of love. If you're wondering, Scott, where's the exegetical, like, listen passage? It's, listening is an expression of love. James says, be slow to anger, be slow to speak, and be quick to... Listen, listening might be right now the most effective way to share about Christ, not in the beginning, but it opens the door on the backside. So how good are you at listening? So what listening is not is, hey, what's up? We don't expect anybody to answer that, right? That's a greeting. So if you think you're good at listening because you ask, what's up, you're not. Everybody does that. And nobody, nobody is expecting an honest answer. Right? It's Just a cultural thing. We say, "Ah, what's up? And then they start going off. And you're like, no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I really didn't want you to share. I just wanted to say hi. Sorry I asked the question. Right? So listening is not saying what's up. Listening is also this... It is not, um, as we think about that, it's not um, asking someone how they're doing, meaning it, but then taking the conversation over because we have so much media to share and we need somebody to hear us that we really don't want to hear them because we've got to be heard. So evaluate your conversations and how often do you say, hey, how are you doing? And you mean it, but then you interrupt them because you actually are the one that needs to talk. That's not listening. Or this isn't listening. Somebody starts to share, you mean it, and they start to open up, and you immediately go to solving it. Fix it. Why? Because you love them so much, and you don't want to see them hurt, so let's, let's fix it, let's give them the solution, let's pray for them, and boy, that makes me feel good. But have we heard them? No. No, we've tried to fix them, but that's not listening. Or listening is not... Someone is sharing because we asked and we really wanted to hear and they start sharing and then we think, oh man, this is my story. We identify with it and we start to tell our story and what ends up happening is they listen for another 30 minutes to our story of how we identify with them and yet they no longer are talking because we're talking because we like to talk about ourselves. Identifying with someone and telling a story is not evil. It's not bad. God uses it. I'm with you. I'm just saying, what does it mean to really listen Why don't we listen? Well, you know, we're a product of our culture. Everyone wants to be heard. Everyone here in this room longs to have someone hear them, and by hear them, to know their soul and what's going on. And we just talked to someone this past week, still at home because they're high risk, for 17 months at home, and they've had close people pass away. I mean it's they're at high risk and it's hard and and they're wanting somebody to hear them. And they got lost in the shuffle. Like there's how many people feel lost in the shuffle of everything and nobody's here. Like that's happening in our room. Can you imagine how much it's happening out there? The power of listening I, I think is in that story of that terrorist. That terrorist sat there, and at the end of it, in all seriousness, the, the, the colonel wasn't being trite. He was being serious, and he was reflecting back, I understand you after all our conversations and where you're coming from. I understand you. And this terrorist finally goes, that's right. He was heard. He ends up releasing that American hostage three months later. And he never got ransom. And he calls up the colonel like a week later. And he said, did you get a promotion? I mean, the colonel's got this terrorist number on his cell phone. And the terrorist's like, did you get a promotion? And, and the colonel's like, what do you mean? And he's like, I never give away hostages for free. He says, but, but something happened in our conversation." isn't that interesting that's the power of listening walls come down people start to say when someone starts to say that's right you've heard them not you're right and you know what i mean like we'll win the argument we'll push 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 and the, and sometimes people just go oh you're right whatever like, oh, you're right, and just walk away. But when they say that's right, they've been heard. I think love is part of this whole thing of listening because it's, to listen to someone is self-denial. It, it's to say your story is more important right now than mine. You being heard and understood is more important than me being heard and understood. That's hard to do. Me stopping long enough, stop talking long enough to hear, and then to ask the next question, and then to ask the deeper question. So uh, yesterday we had a guy come out. He may be listening in on the uh, podcast today. Um, And it was just interesting to sit there and just to listen, to talk. How are you doing? What are you processing? It's interesting. He's millennial, and he, he just said, look, I, it's hard for me to be a part of the church because it shoves it down people's throats, and yet he believes in Christ. And I didn't, I didn't say anything. I was just listening. I thought, that's yeah, that's where our culture is. One of the things, it's, it's crazy what happens. We see, I see this with Alpha. Um, we really make a concerted effort not to give answers at Alpha. There's truth, because we watch a video. So we're not abandoning truth, right? Like, y- you gotta have truth somewhere in there. Just depends on when it comes. But for Alpha, that context, the truth happens. But what happens after that is, the con- is this conversation. And questions start getting asked, and, and we start asking people questions. Well, what's your question? Why do you disagree? And then we ask the deeper question, well, why do you think that? And it's just fascinating to watch people who who absolutely think Christianity is just ridiculous start to talk about what they believe. And they start to be heard week after week after week. And you see once they realize oh, we're not gonna reject them, we actually love them, we do actually care to know over time, walls just come down, defenses come down. And they start to actually articulate what they believe out loud for the first time in a context of, of people that don't believe what they believe. And they themselves start to have the freedom, rather than to be defensive, they actually have the freedom to start to just evaluate their own worldview because it's safe. And nobody's arguing with them for the first time. You don't have to do this at Alpha. This is just the normal Christian life. Let me ask you something. Are, are there three people you could listen to this week? Seriously. Are there three people? There's these cards here. Are there three people who you say, who are your three? Could you reach out to those three people and say, how are you doing? And say, no, I mean it. And ask another question. And then ask another question. I want to invite um, Mason to come up. Mason has some crazy stories. Um, So everybody say hi to Mason. You're on that side. I'm on this side? Yeah. So, So you're driving your motorcycle legally. Very legal. Not speeding or anything like no, that? No, I would never do that. So tell us the story. Like, you meet this guy, right? Yeah. On the street.
1: So I'm riding my motorcycle home from Wadsworth. I just got done lifting, okay? And I'm just cruising down 57, and, you know, everything's going as planned, normal. And then all of a sudden, I hear this motorcycle come flying. And I kid you not, he, was, he came right up next to me for me to Scott. And he yells. He puts up his fire. He's like, I like your bike. And then he just takes off. And I was like, what the heck? So I was like you know adrenaline junkie I'm, I'm like i'm gonna catch him so i'd take off running after him
0: and of course you don't go speeding no we don't. don't go speeding here we so we are not condone
1: speeding or anything like yeah, this just for the record yeah, don't condone church. speeding so so anyway i end up following this guy and i end up catching up to him and me him and he's got a buddy on a harley who's just like you know that big guy just chugging on the harley and we're all up on the stoplight and we're stopped there and he's like he's like you want to race i was like i was like well it's part of me's like no you know can't do that, but I was like, "Yeah, let's do it," you know. So, so green light hits, we're gone. I got him off the rip legally, I, not legally, legally. Yeah, yeah, speed limit. We're we're under the speed limit. We're going. I look behind me; he's, he's nowhere to be found, man. I look again; he comes doing a wheelie, going right past me, legally. And yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so he keeps going. We end up stopping over and um, end up like switching contact info. His name ended up being Michael. And I find out three days later, he got in a bad motorcycle accident. And I was like, man, that is a bummer. So I reached out to him, and I didn't even know him. Like, I met him one time, literally, like, swapped contacts. We're like, hey, we're going to ride together. Well, we got in an accident three days later and um, reached out to him, like, hey, is there anything I can do for you, this, that? And he's like, no, I'm good. He was in the hospital for, I think, a little bit over a week. He broke his leg in six different places. He's lucky to be alive. So, um, so anyway, so me and him didn't really have much contact after that, because we rode motorcycles together, that's how we connected, and that was it. Well, um, a few weeks later, probably about a month, month and a half later, I met with my other friend, Shiler, who I've been friends with for a couple years, Um, and I ended up sharing this really cool God story with him, and I've been trying to get him to come to Alpha, and he's like, well, at the end, he's like, I'm having a fire this Saturday, you want to come hang out? I was like, yeah, sure. So, I ended up coming to this fire that Saturday, and lo and behold, Michael, the guy who was in this horrible motorcycle accident, was at this fire, and he's like, I remember you from riding motorcycles. I was like, yeah. So, um, so I ended up sitting down with him and Shyler, Shiloh, and Shiloh's was like, he's like, was like, dude, you got to tell Michael this this story about God that you were telling me. And I was like, I was like, all right. So, it ended up carving this pathway to tell Michael this crazy story about something going on in my life about God. And he's like, and at the end, of their mouth they're like open. They're like, how how is that happening? Like, how does this even happen? So, um, so yeah. So, I haven't been able to invite him to Alpha yet, but we actually have rode. He's off his cast, so we rode one more time,
0: um, and he is a lot slower now. So. Yeah, how do he's a lot, Yeah, I bet he is. Um, how do you how do you turn that conversation towards an invite? Like, what are you saying yeah. to those guys?
1: Yeah, so I think it really goes along the lines of building that relationship, building a genuine, like a genuine relationship with them. Like, you can't just go up to some people like, "Hey, come to Alpha." They're gonna be like, "No, I don't know you. Why would I come to Alpha?" You know, this that. And so I I try to listen. Like how you're saying, I try to listen to them, see what you know what what what's going on in their life, and then I try to open that conversation into, you know, if I've went through something similar, you know, he broke his leg, I broke my neck twice, right? So I'm able to to relate on that kind of level with them and kind of open that conversation up and be like, you know, this is how I was able to go through it. You know, if you're interested or if you if you have any questions, like there's this program called Alpha. Like, if you want to come to it, you know, and be able to kind of transition and listen to them and see what they're going through and see how broken they are, because everybody's broken, yeah. you know, and be able to transition that into hopefully an Alpha invite. Well, what's the the Planet Fitness story? What's that? Yeah, so I actually have two stories about Planet Fitness. The last one I'm going to say is really crazy. So. Um, So I have this one Planet Fitness. Well, I go to Planet Fitness probably about 10 months now, okay? And I was selling my truck back in February. And there's a few platforms you can list it on. And one of them was called OfferUp. And not really many people use OfferUp. So I was like, I'm just going to list it there because I have the time to. Well, this one guy named Blaine messaged me. He's like, hey, I'm interested in your truck. Can we meet sometime? I was like, yeah, sure. So he lives in Orville. I lived like right outside of Orville, So like five minutes away. We meet up. He ends up being a couple years younger than me. We go for a test drive. Heck, we end up being buddies just on the test drive. Like I've never had that kind of experience where like I end up being friends with somebody test driving my own truck, right? So we get back and and we end up being buddies and he's like, oh, I'll text you. I'll text you. So I go home and I was like, all right, I got to go to the gym. So I come up here to Planet Fitness in Wadsworth and I'm over there doing the chest press and here comes Blaine walking around the corner. He's like, you come here? And I was like, yeah, I was like, you come here? He's like, for like six months. I was like, how have we not seen each other? So that ended up turning into, you know, being able to lift together and then, you know, him being able to open up about his life and stuff he's been going through and me being able to speak into that and, you know, bring up Alpha and you know, go from there. So so that one's been huge. That was a really cool one. And this last one is like crazy. I haven't even told you this one yet. So um, yeah. We get a it's bonus like, feature. Right? We get a bonus. So um, so this last one has to do with Planet Fitness as well. And, and everything that keeps coming to my mind is just one more, right? Just one more person that comes into mm. play. Just one more time I go to Planet Fitness. This was like my second time going for the day. I was completely tired. I was like, you know, I still got to go. And just a little bit of background about this story. So um, my parents are split. They split when I was about three. So on my dad's side, they kind of fell apart once my grandpa passed away when I was about 12. Um, and I have a cousin called Liam. So he was my dad's brother. So me and him are cousins. Me, I, I didn't see him since I was 12. I saw him one time. We had like one word exchange after a football game that I played. And um, so I haven't seen him and it was really horrible what happened. So about a year ago, we lost his dad to suicide mm. and it was really hard. And I reached out to him and I texted him and you know he was kind of closed and um, I go to Planet Fitness and I get there and I see this young gentleman, you know, up there trying to like sign in or whatever. And I look at him and he looks familiar, but I couldn't tell who he was at first because he's got a full grown beard, you know, and I haven't seen him since he was just little Liam, right? Like before puberty, like high pitched Liam. And I kind of <laughs> look at him, and we look at each other and we both looked at each other and we're like, I think I know you, I don't know. So anyway, I hit my workout, he hits his, and we didn't, didn't talking at Planet Fitness. Well, afterwards I go to Pulp. And and I was kind of like praying. I was like, do I say something? Do I know this guy? Like, I don't want to be in that position where I'm awkward. Like, are you my cousin? He's like, no. And I'm like, oh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't want to put myself in that kind of position. But But anyway, so we get out of Planet Fitness, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to Pulp. Well, he ends up going to Pulp, too. And I was like, all right, at this point, God's just putting it together. So I was like... Liam? And he's like, Mason. And I was like, yo, what's up? And we haven't seen each other since we were young. So, so it was really cool to be able to connect with him. And then that actually led to me texting him just one more time saying, Hey, you want to go, you want to go get some supper? And then he opened up completely about, you know, his whole dad situation. Mm. And, and, it, and it breaks my heart because I see him and I see myself eight months ago before I was able to, to figure it out and Find Jesus and put him in my life with, you know, give him the control and give him the trust with mm. any situation that's going on. And it, and it just breaks my heart looking at him and seeing him go through this without Jesus, right? Yeah. And being able to reach out and be like, hey, you know, this is Alpha. He's like, yeah, dude, I, I would love to come. Hopefully, my schedule's free. So he's going to be hopefully coming to Alpha. And then he has yeah. a couple siblings that hopefully he's going to bring along too. So that was,
0: that's the last story I'm going to end with, is just one Gee more. Chris um so it doesn't stop right it just doesn't stop you i mean you've been walking with jesus like you're 20 22. yeah 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 pretty much my whole life um do we grow out of that i mean have you grown out of that like oh that's just for the younger generation or is it for us and um and we're just going to end there the service can you pray for us yeah, just pray, I can, I can pray pray for, for our church I I don't know pray yeah. whatever Jesus tells you to pray right. but uh, you're closing it All right so. I'm closing it All right let's let's pray
1: Dear heavenly Father we just we just thank you for today we thank you for being able to just put one more person on our life just one more Lord just just one more story you give us although you put us through you know, thick and thin, Lord, that you use that for just one more person. And it's been crazy how multiple aspects of my life have been able to relate to all these people. And I, you know, sometimes everybody has those doubts where you wonder, you wonder, why am I going through this? And then it's crazy to see how you use that for my test, for your testimony and for Christ. Lord, I ask you that you'll equip us to be able to invite people to Alpha this year and that we'll be able to build those relationships and connections. And I just pray over everybody here this morning. Amen.
0: Amen. Hey, take this card home. This is, put it in your Bible, your three. And uh, if you want uh, a copy of a book, we have them up here. It's 10 bucks. Just throw the, the $10 in there um, if you've got it cash, but it's just right up here. But God bless you all. If you want prayer, we'd love to pray for you if you've got something that's going on in your life. But um, thanks for coming this morning. We'll see you all next week. That was amazing.